But we see that that's how Satan works many times, and and uh, many innocent people are hurt, and and uh, we we see that that was what was taking place. And so now we get into chapter twenty, and we're going to see that Paul continues to move. He's been at Ephesus now for uh, two and a half years, and and some uh, great things had been taking place, and had been a true revival going on. People saved and. Like I said, some of these other things shut down, and, and uh, God was blessing. People were being saved. We know that uh, for some time now, that church in Ephesus was uh, one of the stronger churches, and, and by that, you know, Ephesus, big city, they didn't have the mega churches like we have today. They, they didn't have just one. They had bodies of believers that were meeting all over that, that region and in that city, and so there were many churches, and so there were also many pastors that were uh, dealing with, with this group, and we're going to meet up with them a little bit later. But now we get into to chapter 20, and we see, uh, first of all, tonight, what we want to look at is uh, he, he travels on into Macedonia and into Greece, and then comes back into Asia. And it tells us in verse 1, and here we see he moves into Macedonia, and after the uproar was ceased... Paul called unto him the disciples, embraced them, and departed for to go into Macedonia. Now, uh, some speculation, but it, it seems like whenever he leaves Ephesus and then he would uh, sail north, and, and uh, when he went north, probably came into the city of Philippi and uh, met up with them, and from there moved on south down into Macedonia, and it was there that he meets up with the church of Thessalonica, and then he'll go a little bit further south, and he runs into the church at uh, Berea. And so those were the ones that were in Macedonia. And when he had gone over those parts and had given them much exhortation, he came into Greece. And so now the, the exhortation, the preaching, the, the teaching of the Word of God and instructing them on, on how to behave in the house of God, as he told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 3, and... and uh, encouraging them to uh, listen to what the Word of God says and, and uh, how they ought to be living as believers and how they ought to continue to share the gospel with others as they go out and about. Same thing that we still are being exhorted to do today. And so, and then he came into Greece, and it was there that he comes into Athens, and then from Athens he would have dropped on over and, and uh, stopped in Corinth and uh, uh, in, in, in all of this, and there abode three months. And so here we see that, that he had some plans that, that he was planning on doing and, and what he was going to do, but in all of this, God is uh, using this to, to work his own plan. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16, uh, when, when he was there in Ephesus, he wrote to them, and he said in 1 Corinthians chapter 16 in verses 8 and 9, he says, But I will tarry at Ephesus until Pentecost, for a great door and effectual is opened unto me, and there are many adversaries. So now it seems to me that what pushed him up into Macedonia and then uh, uh, brought him down into Greece in that area, it, it seemed like he had all plans and intents to stay right there at Ephesus until uh, getting closer to the time of Pentecost, then he would hop on a ship and, and trade ship probably and, and travel south and back to the east and, and go back down to possibly to Antioch, which was right along the Mediterranean coast and, and uh, that sending church that he had been 
going to and basing out of, and then from there moving on down into Jerusalem and being there for the, the celebration of Pentecost. But, and so that's what he was writing to the Corinthians and telling them that that, uh, that was his intents on doing that. However, uh, God started moving him because he had to get out of Ephesus because of the business leaders were after him, the Jews were after him, and and now even though the, the town clerk had saved his life, he was smart enough to know that, look, if I stay here, I'm probably going to end up losing my life, and so he has to move. And, and he also knew, and, and he's going to give testimony of this a little later too, that he also knew that if he goes to Jerusalem, all along the way, everywhere he goes, and telling them he's going to, 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 to take the offering, the gift that he's been collecting from all of those churches in the area, and wanting to take that back to the believers at Jerusalem, that every one of those churches are telling him, you can't go, Paul, or you're, you're, you will die, because they are looking for you, and, and I'm sure you have, he had a price on his head. But here we see that instead of going directly down to uh, prepare for the day of Pentecost, now we see that he had to move out of Ephesus, so he goes up to Macedonia, and then he moves into Greece, and he abode there three months. And when the Jews laid wait for him, and so now as he was about to sail into Syria, so here he is, he's decided that from here then he's going to get on a ship and he's going to head out, and, and uh, the Jews laid wait for him. So here again, they were looking to kill him, and they were uh, ready to take him out and, and, and to uh, destroy the ministry that he was working so hard with and doing what God had wanted him to do, and so as he was about to sail out in, uh, into Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. So through God's intervention, whatever it may have been, we see that God's intent was that you're not done yet. And uh, he delayed his trip again to Jerusalem. And so now he goes back up north and goes back the way that he came down. And then he's going to go back into uh, Asia. Now, I think it's interesting too, as we give thought to this, and we know through uh, writing to to the church at Corinth, and and then giving um, uh, uh, giving notable due to to some of the other churches that uh, he, while he was visiting these churches and exhorting them and teaching them, he was also taking up an offering. And you have to go into the Corinthians uh, epistles, and you can read much more about it. But we know that he was taking up an offering to take that back to the believers at Jerusalem. So now we see that he has a number of guys with him, and it's apparent that probably all of those men were carrying some of that offering and split up because I'm sure if the Jews heard that he also had money, that they would uh, take his life for that. I mean, I, I don't know. When I, when I start giving thought to the intricacies of, of his ministry and, and what he was doing and, and actually slowing down and and reading this, I mean, he had the cares of the church. He, of all these churches that he was visiting, he's building them up. He, he's having to do battle with the, the false teachers that come in and, and, and those that are uh, uh, slandering his name and, and trying to get them away from the, the true uh, gospel and, and the true doctrine of the scriptures. I mean, he's just dealing with all kinds of things. And then on top of that, you know, I'm sure they're very careful in how they're moving around because of the money that they had with them and the offering that they're to take and knowing that, that there's robbers and there were, you know, bandits and all kinds of people that were 
uh, seeking to, to kill him. And that does make more sense then when he writes in, in Corinthians epistles, he writes, I die daily. Now, I know I, I hear a lot of preachers preach on that, that we need to die to self daily, but in the context has nothing to do with that. I mean, that's a good, that is a good principle to live by. We do need to die daily to ourselves. But what Paul was saying is, I face death every day. I mean, every day somebody is trying to kill me. And, and, and there, are, there are some wicked people. And, and he even calls those that, that challenged him there in Ephesus, he called them beasts. And they were so violent uh, towards him. And, and so, but here we see that, all right, he's in Greece. You, you think that, all right, God, I'm ready to go to, uh, back into Syria and move down into Jerusalem. And I want to get there for the, the day of Pentecost and all the celebrations of that time. And, and I'm ready to go. And God says, no, not yet. And do you know something that, that you never see with Paul? Is you never see him complain about it. You never see him gripe and whine to God about what is going on. We just see that he turns around and he moves on. Now, by the calculations, and there's probably some of this that it might not be quite right, but it's really close. By this time in his ministry, he's been in the ministry now. He's been saved for about 16 years. And in that 16, yeah, yeah thank you. I love this. And... Uh, so, so this is where he's at right now. He's all the way back over here in Athens, okay? So now he's ready to leave. He says, I want to I come back down here, and I want to come back down into Syria, so probably into Antioch, which is right up here, and then I'm going to come on down into Jerusalem and, and, and do that. But instead, we see God says, no, we don't think so. And so then he comes around, goes back to Corinth, comes back up to Berea, Thessalonica, probably to Philippi, and then drops back down uh, into to Troas is where he's, where he's headed. But by this time, in his, by the, the other two missionary journeys and this third one, he's traveled somewhere around 12,350 miles. Most of this is by foot. Some of it is sailing. So, and I, and I, and I speculate on this too because there are some where, and, and we'll see one where, he decides to walk 20 miles while the rest of the guys get on a, on a boat and they sail down to the next city for that 20 miles. But Paul chooses to walk. And, and sometimes, I'm not sure, but I'm, I would think that they were probably safer on the boat than, than walking. So you're not going to deal with so many bandits. But I also think that they probably split up. And so for safety's sake also in, in uh, carrying that kind of money. But uh, 12,350 miles. He had, he had uh, journeyed so far. It spans somewhere around 1,500 square miles. All of this in 16 years of, of uh, ministry. And all to do what? To preach the gospel. I, I think if there was a title to this Bible study tonight in, in what we're looking at, we could title it Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Uh, Paul was faithful in, in what he was doing. He even... He wrote to the Corinthians and, and encouraged them too. And, and, and he said in chapter 4, 1 Corinthians, he said, Let a man so account of us as of the ministers of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. And he encouraged them to be faithful. And, and here we see that 
that he was doing exactly that. And so he abode three months and getting ready to sail to Syria, he purposed to return through Macedonia. And so then he goes, Corinth, back to Berea, Thessalonica, Philippi, and then he drops down. And there accompanied him into Asia, Sopater of Berea, and of the Thessalonians, Aristarchus and Secundus, and Gaius of Derby, and Timotheus, and of Asia, Tychicus and Trophimus. And, and so here were all these men that, that were traveling with him, and these going before tarried for us at Troas. And not only were those with him, but also we know that Luke was with him, because Luke's the one that's writing this. Something else I think is interesting, Luke, does anyone remember what Luke's profession was? He was a doctor, right? Paul obviously had some major health issues along the way. And, and one major issue that he kept praying to God, that God, would you remove this? Would you heal me of this? And you remember, God said, no. And, and, and I'm not going to heal you because in your weakness, I am made strong. For my grace is sufficient for thee. And, and so here, knowing that, that he dealt with these issues and, and, and all of this adding on uh, to him, and, and, and in all of this, he still continues to be faithful. And we sailed away from Philippi after the days of unleavened bread and came unto them to Troas in five days where we abode seven days. And so now they come down and they, they go to Troas and while they're there at Troas, now we see the faithfulness of, of the believers. And upon the first day of the week. You know, there are, there are some religions, some denominations that still say that we ought to be worshiping on uh, Saturday. And however, we see that from the very uh, point in time when Jesus Christ died on the cross, and from that time on, what day did he raise? He rose on Sunday, the first day of the week. And from that time on, we know that, that the disciples were worshiping on the first day of the week. That's why we worship on Sunday, and we don't worship on Saturday. And, and those that want to tell you you need to worship on Saturday, you find out that they're still stuck on the law, and, and they want to emphasize the law because the law is more important than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And it is false. And it is wrong. And it's not going to get you to heaven worshiping on Saturday. It's not going to get you to heaven worshiping on Sunday. What's going to get you to heaven is worshiping the Son who died on the cross, who was buried, who rose again. And when you call on Him and trust Him as your Savior, He gives you that salvation, that forgiveness of your sins, because your faith is in the saving work of Jesus, not in the saving works of yourself. And so we need to always, don't trust in your works, trust in the Savior. And here we see that, that on the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, and here showing that this is something that has been an ongoing process, this isn't something that all of a sudden they, they hear, these disciples hear, ooh, Paul's going to show up. We better spruce things up and look like we've been worshiping on Sunday and we better get things ready. That isn't at all the case. They are meeting every week and they're coming on the first day of the week and they come together to break bread. And to break bread has more than, I believe, than 
just taking of the Lord's Supper because we see that not only do they come that, that morning and come together for that day to break bread, but we're going to see that they spend all night there and they break bread in the morning again. And so here we see that they come together to break bread. And, and I, I think it just has a lot of meaning there of, of what they are doing together. They're worshiping God. They're learning about God and, and, and uh, uh, hearing what Paul has already taught them and writing those things down and, and taking his letters that, they, uh, that he has written and they're, and they're reading them and, 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 and exhorting each other through the, the truth of, of what God's Word is. And, and all of that is, is part of the breaking of bread, the fellowshipping together, the, the dining together, the eating together, the, the learning more about who we are. Oh, I think we need that. I think we need it all. And I think as the, as the days grow more evil, and I do believe they are, the more of that fellowship we will need to garner strength from each other in our service and walk with God. And so here they break bread, and Paul preached unto them, and you guys can't gripe about me getting long-winded ever again. Paul preached unto them, ready to part on the morrow. So he's, he's getting ready, he's going to leave them tomorrow. And continued his speech until midnight. Now, I don't know what time they got together. I mean, if did they get together in the morning? Did they get together maybe after everybody worked? But I, you know, I, I have no idea. But I know that by preaching until midnight, he'd gone a long time, and there were many lights in the upper chamber when they were gathered together. And there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. Heard a message one time and it was completely, totally out of context. But it was the title of when Eutychus fell out of church. And <laughs> I'll always remember that, you know. I listened to that, I thought, well, he's got some good points, but I think I'd find a different passage. But anyway, Eutychus was, was, I think he was trying his best to stay awake. I definitely would stay awake if I'm sitting in a third floor window. And uh, here he falls out. And it tells us that, and there sat in a window a certain young man named Eutychus being fallen into a deep sleep. And as Paul was long preaching, he sunk down with sleep and fell down from the third loft and was taken up dead. And Paul went down and fell on him and embracing him said, trouble not yourselves for his life is in him. When he therefore was come up again and had broken bread and eaten and talked a long while, even till break of day, so he departed. And they brought the young man alive and were not a little comforted. No, I'm sure they weren't. I'm sure they were very much comforted in seeing what what was going on. But you know what we see here? We see the faithfulness of Paul, but we also see the faithfulness of the church that was there in Troas. They were faithful to assemble. They, they, they were the, the first day of the week. There they brought, they broke bread and they, they uh, preached and they taught the word of God. I'm sure that they sang some, some songs and they were faithful to worship. And, and really, it, it really does go along with even the message that was uh, preach Sunday morning, how, how we need to understand that, that this truly ought to be a part of the center part of our lives is our worship to God and, and 
the corporate worship that we have that we come together together and we worship together and, and, and grow together and we draw strength from each other. And, and look, it, it makes it a whole lot easier when, when you find out that you've lost your job and you know that there is a family of God that is praying for you. It just makes more sense that, and, and such an encouragement to know that, that there are other people that truly do care and it will be okay. I mean, when, when, you have, when you find out that, that you have to have another knee surgery and, and, and knowing that there are people praying that you're going to heal quickly and, and, and God continues to show miracle after miracle after miracle in people's lives and, and, and how we can draw an encouragement from that, how, how we can come together on a first day of the week and, and start the week out right, not, not by getting aggravated whether your, your son struck out in a baseball game or or whether your, your son didn't make a touchdown in a football game, or, or your favorite NFL team didn't win this week, or whatever, but you can come together and you can worship the Almighty God, the Creator of the universe, the Lord of Lord and King of Kings, and, and we can come together and be faithful to worship Him together with other believers. That is what we are supposed to do. Oh, how we ought to, to, to make that... Uh, uh, it, it shouldn't even be thought of as, as having to make it a priority. It just ought to be. I mean, it's amazing how, how we have to, you know, you, you, I, just, I just can't do it anymore. I'm not going to beg somebody to come. I'm not going to, uh, and, and we're not going to reach out and, and, and try to, I don't know, make ourselves look like the world to try to attract attention to get somebody in. We can take the things that we have, but every ministry that we have, the, the number one thing is to glorify God with it. And in doing so, you edify the believer and you evangelize the lost along the way. But our churches are getting ridiculous in the things that they're doing. When you have the fog shows and the light shows and the hard rock, the uh, 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 yeah, concerts, you know, that look like, you know, Led Zeppelin or Ted Nugent or, you know, or whoever, you know, and banging their heads and saying that, yeah, we're honoring God. And, and then even our local churches in this area that, that say it's okay, well, we're going to have beer and a Bible study. It's sacrilegious to say, that, to say the least. And, and thinking that this is going to be God-honoring in those things. And, and look, we shouldn't have to be out there trying to coerce people to come. If we're a child of God, then we ought to want to worship our God. We ought to want to encourage others around us. We ought to, to want to share the gospel with those around us and, and, and see them saved. Oh, how we need to pay more attention to that. And, and so in, in my mind and, and in what we're doing and, and you know, in the fellowships and stuff is I really do think we need to get back to that. We need to get back to where, where you hear of something being scheduled and you say, I can't do that. That's Wednesday, Wednesday night prayer night. Well, I'm not going to do that on Sunday. You have, I don't know, you have family members come and say, hey, we want to come visit you, and, and, and we'll head out on, on uh, Monday, but, you know, we'll probably get there Saturday sometime, but we'll have most of Sunday to fellowship. Well, that's great. We're going to fellowship at church. And I'm sorry if you don't like that. Move on. And so, because the other way, 
doesn't work. I, I, I see it in my own, in much of my own family, and it just doesn't work. It doesn't work. God needs to be first. Here they were, and they were faithful in their worship. And, and, and through that, God did some wonderful things, not only in Paul's life, but in their lives. When Imagine what they thought from that day on every time they saw Eutychus. And I, I, we watched that guy die. And we watched God use Paul to bring him back to life. He's a miracle. And we owe God everything. And here we see that he did exactly that. And then, and so tells us, and they brought up the young man alive, and we're not a little comforted. And then we see that, and he, we went before to ship and sailed unto Assos, there intending to take in Paul. For so had he appointed, minding himself, to go afoot. All the rest of them got on a boat. They went 20 miles south. They rode in the boat. But Paul, Paul said, no, you guys go on, but I think I'll walk. And so they said, so we went. We left and we waited for him until he got there because he chose to walk by foot. And, and why? I, I, I wonder why. You know, I, I'm inquisitive and some of those questions can never be answered, you know. Safety's sake, I think. You split up somewhat. But, but also, I, I don't know. I, I just think that Paul just came out of a meeting and he preached until wee hours in the morning. Stayed up all night, obviously, because they broke bread that early that morning and then, and then he left and, and went on and they got on the boat and said, man, we're, we need some rest. We're going to get on the boat. We're going to sleep till we get there. And Paul said, you guys go on. I'm just going to walk. I just can't imagine the, the excitement that must have been going on in his heart and his life. And maybe it was just a time where he needed the communion with God and, and be able to walk by himself and, and, and just uh, commune with God. And, and so there are times where we need that too. There are times where we need that quietness and, and that peace for God to talk to us. And, but then we see that from Assos, then we're going to look a little later, but he, he goes on to Mytilene and then uh, Chios and Samos and uh, Trogilium and, and he goes to those little cities and, and he's there only for about a day at a time and, and spends a little bit of time in each one of those. But then he comes to Miletus. And at Miletus, we see probably the most personal letter and encouragement that you see Paul write. And it's to a bunch of pastors. And boy, how would you like to have been in that, that preacher's fellowship when Paul met up with them and said what he says in the rest of Acts chapter 20. Truly such a personal letter that he, that he writes here and that we see and we're truly blessed to have that and God encouraging us as we will get into that next week and we're going to continue to see the faithfulness of Paul as he writes to the elders that come down from Ephesus. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your word. I pray your blessings upon it. pray you encourage us through the rest of this week. I pray that it has been uplifting to those that are here. Lord, we came to lay our requests at your feet, and we've done that, and we look forward to seeing you answer those. And Lord, then we came to hear from you and your word, and I pray that we have. I pray that you take what we've heard tonight and that, Lord, we can use it and apply it in our lives. Guide us and bless us now in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you. You're dismissed.